Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Dan York Report. A friend recently asked me a question for which I had no easy answer. He said, what is the minimum set of specifications that a vendor must implement to be able to say that it is SIP compliant? My initial response was, well, it depends, followed by, I don't really know, because it really depends upon where the vendor is in the SIP interconnection system. Now, to back up, SIP is the session initiation protocol. It is the way that we do voice over IP or the standards-based way, the primary standards-based way that we do voice over IP. So if you're dealing with you know, hard phones, like phones you might have on your desk or soft phones or pieces like that um, that are standards-based, it's probably almost always now using SIP. There are other ones. There's H323. There's lots of other different pieces now. There's WebRTC, which is doing its own thing these days. But SIP is this predominant protocol that we're using. And as we look at shutting down the public switch telephony network or PSTN and moving all telecom over to IP, it's looking to be based on SIP on the SIP protocol. So the question comes in, you know, how do we define what SIP is? It's not just one RFC, it's a whole slew of them. What, you know, how do we define that? How do we help vendors move their products to be based on SIP? And as we do this talk around shutting down the PSTN to moving everything to IP, how do we help vendors and companies and service providers? How do we make it easier for them to switch to IP? I think there's a problem here, and I think we need to think about it. You know, the challenge is that the vendor, you know, what amount of SIP the vendor needs to implement really depends on where they are. Are they a vendor of products that are end clients, that are SIP clients, like a desktop phone, an IP phone, or a SIP soft phone? Are they a a SIP server that's seeking to connect to a SIP service provider? an internet telephony service provider or somebody to make connections out to other people via SIP or to the public switch telephony telephone network, PSDN. Are they trying to do that? Are they a SIP? Is the vendor a SIP service provider themselves looking to connect to the PSDN or looking to connect to other SIP service providers in what we call SIP peering? You know, or are they a middle box? Do they have a, a device in the middle, like a firewall or a network monitoring device or a, um, or a SIP aware, uh, a session border controller, or are they an application that is trying to connect into other or to monitor SIP traffic or to provide call recording or IVR services or other application type services? The level of what they are doing, where they fit in the SIP ecosystem really then defines what level of quote unquote SIP they need to have and therefore what uh, specifications they would need to have to be SIP compliant in that way. And the challenge is that it's not a simple picture. You know, we often show this little diagram that shows Alice calling Bob and she connects through her SIP proxy and Bob connects through his and exchange media stuff. But, you know, the reality is it's very complicated. There's often a number of different SIP proxies involved. There's often media gateways, session border controllers, firewalls. Lots of stuff gets in the way to make this connection happen. So it's not a simple thing there. The other challenge is that if you go back and read RFC 3261, it's it's a remarkable document. And if we implemented that, you know, it's got some amazing pieces to it. Little things like, I, I love, here's one example. There was the idea of having a subject line, like you'd have an email almost. So you could send a subject line with a phone call. So when it appeared in your SIP client, you could know what the call was about. You know, little things that we could do. And, and that's an example of part of what happened is, 
once SIP was published and the, the associated and original specs, there's a large group within the internet community, I'll say, who look to expand SIP, to have it do more. Because SIP was never just about voice. It was also about video, about chat, about data transfer, about lots of different things you could do. And so, you know, SIP started to expand to do more and more and more capabilities that people added onto it. While simultaneously, the traditional telcos, the telecommunication companies, the vendors, all of that, looked at how they could bring all of the kind of legacy PSTN stuff and make it happen on IP and how you could bring all that over and make it work. And now, of course, many of those telcos and vendors wanted to do that with as little difference from the way it was on the PSDN as possible so that they could not have to change their business models or business processes or anything else. So they were trying to glom the PSTN, the legacy PSTN stuff onto SIP and just have that work. So you had these two competing different impulses. The one is let's expand SIP and make it do more and be more powerful and enable all these new innovations. And the other is let's bring all the PSTN stuff over onto the, onto SIP so that we can make it all work and it will just kind of work with everything we have today. And there it goes. So all of that has meant that over the past 10, 15 years now, SIP has become this accretion of more and more and more hacks and kludges and other stuff to go and just kind of make this work. Now, it's a lot harder then to try to figure out what is SIP. Back in the earlier, the mid-2000s, Jonathan Rosenberg tried to solve this a bit, and he wrote what uh, was called the Hitchhiker's Guide to SIP. And if you know Douglas Adams, you'd understand a bit more of some of what Jonathan wrote in there. But he wrote a document which came out in February 2009 as RFC 5411, 5411. And it was originally a 42-page document, which has a there. But it had about 25, 26 pages worth of recommendations. Yes, pages worth of recommendations of RFCs and other Internet drafts that constituted what was SIP. So if you're looking to somebody about how do you go and make your product SIP compliant, well, one thing you could look at is this document and say, well, here's all the stuff that's sort of there. But the question is, do you need all of that for each of those different modes of operation within the SIP ecosystem? Now, the SIP forum did some outstanding work to define part of that picture. They looked at the piece, which was the IP PBX or the SIP server connecting to the SIP service provider or Internet Telephony Service Provider, ITSP. They looked at, if we want to make it so that more IPPBXs and call servers can connect to service providers, so that more enterprises, more organizations could be able to connect via SIP out to the PSTN into the SIP environment, what do we do? And so they came up with something called SIP Connect. And you could find it at www.sipforum.org slash SIP Connect. And it's a... Uh, it's a great document. It's a really great document, which defines, you know, the pieces that you need to look at to how to go and, and, and connect between this on-premise IPPBX and a service provider. And so the idea being, if you have a SIP compliant IPPBX and you have a SIP compliant service provider, then in theory, it should just work for some minimal definition, of that, at least a minimal amount of testing. They both agree that they implement the same set of SIP standards in certain ways. And so the question comes in, you know, that's a great way to deal with it there. So if your vendor in that space, in that connection, either a service provider or an on-premise IPPBX, then SIP Connect is your specification. You can do that. Great. Well, now that's awesome. But what about for SIP peering, for connection between service providers? What about connections from the client to the PBX? 
How do you specify that? What is the minimum set of SIP standards that you need to support to be able to work with that? You know, there are other organizations that have kind of profiles around this or specifications. The 3GPP in the mobile space, the GSMA, they have some. The ITU has some, although they rename things, so it's kind of hard to figure out what exactly relates to some of the other SIP specifications. But it comes back to a question. You know, do we need to have a new ITF document? Do we need to have an RFC 5411 BIS, a new version of that document that updates it with what's happened in the last five years or so, because a lot of new SIP documents have come out. Um, and, you know, and also perhaps looks at profiles around this. It looks at what is it for each of these different roles. You know, is there something, is this something that another organization like the SIP forum should be looking at? I mean, I know they have some longer range plans on doing more with SIP Connect, but is that maybe something that we as an industry need to look at? How do we accelerate that? You know, how, you know, has somebody else already done this? And I just haven't found it yet. You know, what else is out there? And I guess the other question is, do you, do you listening to us, do you think this is a problem? Do you think we should help make it easier for people to go and deploy SIP based communication systems? What do we do? How do we do this? I'd be curious, you know, what do you think? How do we define SIP for telecom in 2014? What are your thoughts? I put up a post on my Disruptive Telephony blog. I'd love to hear your comments there in text form, or you're welcome to leave them here at soundcloud.com slash danyork or anywhere this is posted in social media. Love to hear your comments because I do, I personally do think it's a question we need to look at. How do we help people deploy SIP and IP-based communications? And how do we make it easier for people to understand what is SIP? What do you think? Let, let, please let me know. You can find this, uh, more of my audio and writing at danyork.me and other places. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.